So we've been talking about the essential skills or qualities or characteristics about Christ followers. If we want to be Christ followers who are not easily fooled by the lies of the enemy, and he gets really skilled at fooling us, then we need to develop these. A biblical literacy, that is understanding the doctrinal truth, understanding the truths that are in the Bible, a biblical worldview so that our lens in seeing the world comes from the Bible, so we're seeing through God's truth, God's word, God's spirit. And third is biblical application. So as we live it out, so we know it, we see the world through it, and then we live it out in his power, applying the Bible to cultural issues. How important is it? Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. Open your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. This is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is wrapping, kind of of putting a bow on all that he's said from the Beatitudes, starting in chapter Matthew 5 and the applications through chapter 6 and chapter 7, and now he comes to the end, and he's wrapping it up, and he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who claims that Jesus is Lord, who it comes out of their mouth. They claim it, they say it, is, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, and if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, You can circle those words. The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I find it interesting that when Jesus does not deny that they had been prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, and doing many mighty works in his name. They were doing things, but they didn't know him, and they didn't obey him. That's the bottom line. And so there are a lot of people in this world who, who believe, Lord, Lord. They believe that they belong. They believe that they're following God. But they've been deceived enough that they're a little bit off trajectory And so Jesus is saying this to people who were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, people who were claiming to follow him, many of them who had lived their whole lives trying to obey God. Matthew 24, verses 12 and 13 says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. He who endures to the end will be saved. You see, it's not about doing great things or earning salvation. It's about knowing God, knowing who He is, what He requires, and obeying God. So, who is God to us? We want to begin our study on um, the Apostles' Creed, because the Apostles' Creed gives us the essential beliefs about Christianity. It doesn't give, it's not exhaustive. It doesn't give us everything. It doesn't give us even application. It basically details what the essential beliefs are um, in, our relation, in, in order to follow Christ. 
First part of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. I believe in God Almighty. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. Now, as I was preparing this, I, I, do we really need to deal much with this? I mean, I don't think there's anybody in here who wouldn't say, oh yeah, I, yeah, I believe in God. I believe he's almighty. I believe he's the creator of heaven and earth. Some years ago, Chill and I went to a movie called Fences. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. The only reason we went to see it was because it was um, by August Wilson, who's a Pittsburgh guy. We thought, it's a Pittsburgh guy, we'll go see it. I had no idea what it was about. So we went to the movie, and it, we weren't but a few minutes into the movie, and I discovered this was a movie about an abusive dad to his son. And that, in my experience in life, my girl, most of you know, is that was my experience. An abusive, an emotionally, verbally abusive dad and the difficulties that I had with him. I was triggered. I mean, the, the movie's like an hour and a half long and within a few minutes I was triggered. And it just got worse. And, and I looked over at Sheila and she seemed to be interested in it. So I, okay, I got this out. Got through it and it was, I was Done. I was destroyed emotionally. By the end of that movie, I walked in silence to the car and I, I leaned to Sheila. I said, that destroyed me. I am, I am done. I am devastated. <laughs> Drove home. Didn't say anything to Sheila. Walked in the house. And in the past, I would have tried to um, theologize it out, spiritualize it out, you know, try, try to... Or, call somebody and talk it out. But I've learned in those moments when we are devastated by something, the place to go is to your knees. Amen. And I did. I went up to our bedroom. Didn't he tell Sheila where I was going? I, just, I think I did. I don't think I even hung up my coat. I just dropped it like a spoiled brat. <laughs> and I went up to the bedroom and I just went to my knees and just wept. And I'm going, God, I thought we were done with this. I thought we had dealt with this. I thought you had healed. Because there have been so, moment, so many moments when God had healed me and helped me and shown me the truth. And I you know, was going, God, I thought we were done with this. And almost immediately the Spirit of God said, and, and, oh, oh, so I thought we were done with this. Why am I experiencing this now? And the Spirit of God said, because you still think I'm mean like your dad. I said, no, I don't. Because <laughs> I'm a spiritual pastor, you know. I, <laughs> so I argue with God. No, I don't. Yes, you do. No, God, I thought we dealt with this. And then he said, let me have it. Surrender it to me. Because this was not going to be talked out away. It wasn't going to be counseled away. It was only going to be taken away by the Spirit of God. And I said, okay, I don't know how, but if you can, do it. It was just that quick. The tears stopped, and the heaviness lifted, and there was some kind of healing. Because God wants to reach into our lives. Now, there are other times when 
when doing a Bible study, talking to a counselor has been helpful. But in that moment, he wanted me on my knees because only he can do some, so some, some things only he can do. Now, my point in telling you that is I'd been a pastor for 30 some years. I'd been a Christian for 40 some years. And I still had a wrong idea about God deep in my soul. I have said I believe in God, <clears throat> the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, for decades. But in that moment, it wasn't true. You see the difference? That's why we have to dig into this and allow him to go so deep to, to, so that we really... Because when, when um, we face difficult things, what we believe about God is going to be what we live. Not what we say, <clears throat> but what we deeply believe. And so my, my prayer and my desire is that during this series of messages and, and in learning community, we can dig deeper into those beliefs that go so deep so that we become, we're transformed into His image in our hearts as well as our, our minds and our souls so that when things come, our lens sees through the worldview of the Bible and our feet follow the actions. If I don't follow the nudge of God to go to my knees, to my bedroom, I handcuff God, right? Because the, we, I didn't have to do anything but surrender, but I had to surrender. And the devil will do everything he can to, to prevent us from going to the place where we need to go and let him have it. So let's talk about who God is. Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So number one, the truth. Here's the truth. God is all-powerful father and creator. As I began to do some studying and, and in my Bible software, I looked up the creator, you know, the, there in, in um, almost so many times um, throughout the Bible when the, the Spirit of God moved a prophet or an apostle to talk about who God was as, as Almighty Father, it refers to creation. I never, I never recognized. Creator is a big deal. Scripture after scripture after scripture. And um, um, so creator, what, what does it mean? So here, here, here's some of the theological um, attributes of God that I put there, and then we'll talk about it. So as creator, God is infinite. He's without origin. He, there, he has no beginning. He is creator of all things, but he has no beginning. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. He's all-knowing. He's all-present. I mean, he's everywhere all the time. He's immutable, which means unchanging. He doesn't change. He's, you could depend on who he is. From Genesis to Revelation, he's the same. He's sovereign. That means he's in charge. I mean, he doesn't force his control on everybody, but he's over overarchingly in charge. As Father, He's all-loving. He's, all, he's faithful. You can depend upon Him. He's good. He's gracious. He respects our will. In Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name, holy, Your kingdom come. In the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, 
who art in heaven. Our Father, He is holy, He is all-powerful, He is creator of all, but He's our Father. He's loving, He's good, He's gracious. I want to run through some scriptures just to, to kind of cement it in our minds, some of the, some, the emphasis that Christianity has to put on God as creator and Father. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything. In the beginning, now, we believe in God as creator. But he doesn't have a habit of explaining all the ways that he does things. And just by the way, this book is not a scientific textbook. This is not an exhaustive explanation of all that God is and all that God's done. It would, it would fill the world if, we, if it was. This is the story of God. That he is the, and the parts of which he has chosen to reveal to us. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Period. And here's, here's my, here's my this, is, this is my hunch. I'm moving from theological um, standing to personal opinion, uh, which has to do with some cantankerousness on my part. I think when we get to heaven and God begins to explain creation, nobody will have it right. Because <laughs> our ways are not his ways and his thoughts are. So let's stop fussing about it. <clears throat> let's just take what the Bible says. He created everything. <clears throat> All right. Psalm 103. Know that the Lord, he is God. What are we going to emphasize to say that? It is he who made us. And we are his. We are the people, the sheep of his pasture. He created us. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you will build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. There's nothing that has been made that has been made by God. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He says, I'm all powerful, and so surrender to me. Because the one who's humble and just accepts that I'm almighty God, I will come to him. Isaiah 42, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. In other words, he's still working. At the moment where he doesn't provide breath for you, you're dead. Right? Jeremiah 10, being verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the, under the heavens. He's talking about the um, rebellious Elohim, the, the angels, the God small g, who were... Um, who rebelled against him. We, we usually for, refer to them as demons. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is tumult of waters in the heavens. And he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from his storehouses. And then I love this next verse. Every man is stupid. <laughs> He's not saying we don't know anything. He's saying compared to God, we're idiots, right? And without knowledge. 
Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there's no breath in them. There is no God but God. They are worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. And then we move to the book, to the New Testament, the book of Acts, as the Apostle Paul is, is, is explaining to um, the various scholars of different religions. He says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God has created all things. He's almighty creator. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom are all things or for whom we exist. Creator and Father to whom we humble ourselves. We exist for him. And then he turns around as our Father and pours out himself for us. Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So the two facets are present at the beginning when Eden falls throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and into eternity. Creator and Father. Creator and Father. And so at the bottom there I put, as Creator, God is, there's this, what I think of as otherness. He so all, everything uh, that exists, he created, but he is outside of that because he's the creator. So he's involved in it, but he's different from all things. And so here's a theological lesson for you. The, 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 uh, the theological term for that is transcendent. He, is tra- he transcends everything. So he's not... Um, subject to all the laws of nature because he created them. He's not subject to the limitations that we have because he, he made everything. He's the creator. He, there's an otherness about him. But as father, here's the theological term, he's imminent. That means he's with us. Transcendent, he's beyond us. Imminent, he's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. As creator, he gives commands because he knows how he created us to function. So when we look at the commands that are in the word of God, it's not because God being other and um, just decided, oh, I want to make their life hard by commanding them to do stuff. No, it's an instruction manual. I created you, God says. I know how you work. I know how you can experience the life that I created you to experience. And so every time you disobey a command, you're hurting yourself. His commands, and that's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And it, 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 he's not saying, if you love me, you'll obey me. He's going, I know how it works. If you love me, if you really love me, you'll just walk in step with me because that's what you know is best for you. Amen. And so as Father, he puts his spirit within us, his power within us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, um, the pr- there's a prayer that says that uh, God would do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we ask or imagine according to his power 
that is within us. God wants to do exceedingly abundant more than all that we could think about. Which is why our memory verse is so true. If you try to live your life on your own, you're going to lose the very thing that you hope for and you want. You lose it. But if you live for me, then you get what you were created for. That's the truth. So the truth. God is Father. God is Creator. The second piece that Pat Sawyer tells us that we need to, um, that we need to develop a skill or characteristic is the biblical worldview. So now that we know the truth, here's the world that God is the source and owner of all. He's the source and owner of all. So as we look at, as we look at all of life, God is the source. He created all things. He is, he's still the owner of all things. He's the ruler of all things. He's the way that we need to live. What we believe about God will determine how we see our worldview and then how we act. So I want, I want to do a little exercise here. Close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes. I won't hurt you. When you think about God, what is the first thing that comes to mind? What pops into your head? Okay, you can open your eyes. That's what you believe most about God. When we, when we, when we close our eyes and we just say, think about God, what comes to mind is generally the, at the top of the list. What we, and what we believe about God is the most important thing in our lives. Because I still believed God was mean, I was holding God at arm's length. And I was also getting triggered by all kinds of things. That wasn't the only time I got triggered. It was pretty frequent. And I was beating myself up. And I was living with shame that I shouldn't have had. And didn't even realize it. I thought, I, I thought it was kind of over all of that stuff. But because I still believed that God was mean, it shaped my worldview, how I viewed everything, including my own children. Including my... Uh, including being a pastor, including, you know, what God would do and, and when bad things would happen. And I didn't even know it. That's why it's so important that we surrender and allow him to surface that stuff that is false. And that requires knowing the word of God. That, that's why learning communities, we're going to dig into the word of God so that he can identify this stuff and we can let, it, let him have it. The worldview is, worldview is, is, um, just the concept is that we all see through a filter. That's why two people can view the same thing and have two different ideas and opinions. Because we're looking through a filter. We're all looking through some filter. It's not whether you have a filter or not. It's just what filter you have. The transformation process then is to get us to have God's worldview. We develop a biblical, and so here's how it works. You might want to highlight this. We develop a biblical worldview by running everything through the filter of the Bible as we are confronted with different ideas. So God does, doesn't just say, okay, you accepted me as Savior, come over here, um, and then you get baptized, and then you come out of the water, and suddenly you see everything like God does. 
It would be easier, but it's not God's way. Instead, what happens is he puts people and situations in your life that will challenge parts that you need to, to, to readjust. And you, then you go to the Bible and you see what God says and you go, oh, that's what that is. And so it's through the confrontation, it's through the difficulties, it's through the struggles, it's through people arguing with you. It's through the ideas that we hear coming from our, our culture. We hear that stuff and we can, we can become frustrated with it or we can say, okay, God, what is it that you say? What does the Bible say about this? And then we anchor ourselves in what the Bible says because we've been confronted with it, we had to deal with it, and now it, it, it gets lodged in our hearts and our souls. So it's this process of transformation, which is why so many people who claim in Western culture, Lord, Lord, are not following Christ. Amen. Because they're not going to the Bible to get the worldview. It's hard work. Mm-hmm. But it's the most important work we'll ever do. So that's worldview. Here's the transformation process. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. The more we are following Christ, the more we see that the world is upside down. Parts of the world that seemed right side up earlier in our lives, now we look at it and we go, that's a, that, how did I ever believe that? Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You get an idea, you test it with the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? Okay, I'm going to believe that. Now my world, my filter changes. My worldview, I start seeing differently. Then I can discern what is the will of God. So what are the implications? This is not an exhaustive list. This is just some thoughts that I had as I'm going through this. So our worldview that God is the source and owner of all, first bullet point. Now, God is in charge no matter how things look. God is in charge no matter how things look. It's easy, uh, before we're Christians and and early in our Christian lives, when hard things come, difficult things come, to think, where's God? Why hasn't God shown up? Has he abandoned me? No, the worldview that that if, if God is really, we really believe God is creator and father, I don't know where God is. I don't know, or I don't know how he's working, but he's here. Why? Because he's everywhere all the time and he loves me, so he's not going to abandon me. See how that shifts? When the hard stuff comes, God is bigger. God is in charge no matter how things look. Back in March of 2020, there was an outcry by the world. Where's God? Why is this happening? If your worldview is that God is Almighty Father and Creator, You go, God's up to something. That's the difference. Because God doesn't abandon. He's still in charge. Even when it feels like he's not listening, God is still there and he's still working. Another implication is that God is working in all circumstances. In all circumstances. God is working in all circumstances. This is different than Romans 8.28. Hear me on this. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that God works together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He works together for the good of those who, who love him. Who are called. But in all circumstances, he's working. Even in lives of people who do not love him, 
He's working his plan even when you can't, even when it looks like the wheels are coming off. Turn your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning with verse 1. I think we got verse 1 to 10, but we're only going to read through um, verse 6. Jeremiah 18, beginning with verse 1. Jeremiah 18, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will tell you, uh, I will let you hear my word. So the potter, you know what a potter is? Makes pottery, has a potter's wheel. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, and this encourages me because my kids will tell me everything is an application life lesson for you, Dad. <laughs> I'm biblical. Because that's what happens here. The word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? God as creator, God as father, sees God as having permission to do whatever he wants. If he wants me to suffer for his purposes, it's still out of his love, and he's still in control. If he wants me to go through difficult things, if he wants me to go through prosperous things, out of his love, out of his care. He owns the pot. I'm the pot, right? Um, And there's no condemnation here. The pot was spoiled, so he just remade it. He just kept working with it. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And that's where we need to stay, in the potter's hand. Just let God do whatever he wants to do. So when hard things come, we go, God, I don't like it, but whatever you're up to. God, I don't want this, but I'm yours. I know you're working. God is the source of all we are and have. We're the stewards. And so the worldview implication is that God is the source of everything. We're just stewards. And that's what we learned through the treasure principle. And we we want to really zero in as we go through this year of letting God be God. God is still creating and changing with the Father's heart. He he never hasn't left. He's here. He's transforming. He wants to transform lives, marriages, families, churches, relationships. He wants to cause us to experience all that he has for us. So the truth, God is almighty creator and father. The worldview is that he's in charge. He's, he's the source and owner of all. He's in charge. And then number three is the application. We need to live as treasured children, servants, and stewards. We need to live as treasured children. that he values and he loves and he cares about. Zephaniah 3.17, that he delights in us. He sings over us. He quiets us. He's mighty to save. Um, So I told you this morning that, man, God showed up so powerfully 
as it was praying and surrendering and listening and um, and I you know I've had many moments like that most of them unexpected because God is God and he could do it whenever he wants to but out of that time a couple of things that I realized was um, when we talk about alignment with God um, it's, it's surrendering to him, it's putting ourselves in his hands, it's living as children and stewards and, and just letting him have his way. He is fierce for us. Do you hear me? He is fierce for us. On our behalf, proactively working in, in the details, in, in, um, it's not incre- incrementally. It's not. Um, I don't. I can't think of the word. But in all of the the little details, he 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 doesn't stand back and say, "Okay, uh, turn left." He's right there, and he's nudging us and caring for us, and he's doing the hard work as we just surrender ourselves to him, as we persevere for him. One of the scriptures I read earlier: "He who endures to the end." Most of life, I, I I've come to believe most of life. And following God is simply putting one step in front of the other in step with him. And then he pulls out all the stops and he does the work. I mean, it's hard work. What he tells us to do is hard at times, but it's him doing the work. It's his power within us. Exceedingly abundantly more than all that we could ask or imagine according to the power of God within us. He ha- his heart is for us. We have to have this worldview that God has pulled out all the stops of heaven. John 3, 16, he gave the very best that he had. His son came and died on the cross for us. God is for us. The enemy is working in the world in so many ways to try to convince us that he's not. God is for us. His heart is for us. So we ask in our application as we face something, what does the Bible tell us to do? And I just put in there that there's a danger because it's usually the subtle variations that sound good. Um, And I don't have time to get into all of that, but just be, I put the scripture there for you. And just remember Eve. Satan didn't come to him and say, you know, you need to eat this, this, this fruit. Did God really say that you couldn't? It's just the subtle variations that kind of get us off. Legalism of any kind. You hear me? Legalism of any kind is not from the Father's heart. Jesus said he's come, he came to set us free. Um, John chapter 3 um, well, First John, I'm sorry. First John, open your Bibles there. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures from First John chapter 4. But First John chapter 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. We are servants, but we are children. And children are part of the family. Children are treasured and valued and protected and cared for and provided for 
We are children of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. There's the worldview. God is love. Not the kind of love that the world talks about. You know, all these hallmark things and mushy, gushy, acceptance, care. No, love is who God is. In this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's love, sacrificing his only son so that we could have life. And in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He takes the initiative. He is proactively, look at me, look at me. Every day, every moment, he is proactively working in your life. He is leaning into you. He's trying to get you to follow his nudge. He has pulled out all the stops of heaven. That's God. He is not off there waiting for you to earn his favor. He is working. He loves you. He cares for you. He wants to overwhelm you with his, his care and his presence. That's why he's created us. And that's what it will be when we get to eternity. He loves us and has poured out sacrifice himself. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Then jump down to verse 18. There is no fear in love. Here's part of the worldview. We don't need to be afraid that God's going to hurt us. We need to have a reverent fear. So in Proverbs, it talks about the fear of God as the beginning of wisdom. Talking about awe, reverence. Um, Putting him on the throne of heaven. He says, but in relationship as father, we don't have any reason to fear God. Because love casts out fear. When we experience his love, it casts out the fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Everything we do is a response to him. Everything we do in our relationships with other people as well as our relationship with God, everything is a response with him. So some applications. We live in awe of God as creator and in intimacy with God as father. Awe. We give him honor. We give him first place. We surrender our lives to him. Intimacy, we walk in step with him. He holds us. He sings over us. He delights in us. We obey God as creator, but we trust him as father. Understanding God's commands are loving instructions. We spend time with God to praise him, to know him, to align with him. And so our quiet time or our throne room time every day, our devotional time, our Bible reading time, our prayer gatherings, all of that is not because we have to earn his favor, but so that we know him and we know his ways. And by knowing his ways, we can walk more in step with him. And by walking in step with him, we experience that so deep intimacy that, uh, that comes with that alignment. We live in freedom and joy, not shame and guilt. So anytime you experience shame and guilt, you go to the Father and say, God, what is this about? Because he, he'll convict us of our sins, but he'll never pile guilt on, ever. So who is God to you? This week, um, I encourage you to take time in the throne room, your, your quiet time with God, and ask him, 
to reveal anything in your life where um, you're viewing him in a way that's not true. As you, as you read your Bible, look for those characteristics of him so that you create them. Because I've watched so many people, come, they, they, it seems like they come to know Christ and they follow him for a while, and then something hits in their life at the core of who they are. And, they, and their attitude is, if God is like that, I'm not going to follow him. And, and I want you to listen. It will come to every single one of us. Because it is a gift from God to go to our knees and hear something like, you still think I'm mean. Let me have that. You see, it, it's, it, the enemy wants to use it to get you off track. God wants to use it to pull you into a deeper intimacy with him. Amen. Would you bow your heads? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and we're going to sing a final song as kind of a proclamation of, of recognizing who God is and also giving ourselves to him. Lord, I pray that in this coming week you would reveal to us, and no matter how hard it is for us, no matter how painful it is, no matter how much we want to run from the feelings that that elicits, that you would bring us to those things where we need to let you recalibrate our view of you. That deeper and stronger in our souls and in our hearts and our minds, God, that you will be Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth, and we will be your children, dearly treasured, knowing we're dearly treasured. God, work in each one of us. Holy Spirit, work in each one of us to draw us to that. Lord, in these moments, bring to mind anything we need to surrender, anything we need to let go of. Make us yours. I pray for us as a church family. God, if there's any way that we need to recalibrate, that you would lead us. Yes. That we would be fully yours. And you truly would be God alone. Without any, any frills, any other extra stuff, you would be God alone. Amen. We put ourselves in your hands. And God, we sing this song. It's a proclamation to you in Jesus' name. Amen.